It is a lovely day to go Inside EMS, and I am your host, Chris Sabalero, and this episode of the Inside EMS podcast is sponsored by ImageTrend, the creators of the free mobile app for first responders crew care. It's time to thrive. And talking about a time to thrive, here is my partner, the man that I call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, brother. How are you? Man, it's all about... It's all about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, well, uh, life is a given. Uh, the, the the love and pursuit of happiness has, has been particularly difficult in the last couple of months. Well, but, if you uh, can't be with the one you love, then love the one you're with. That's right. Well, I, I am with the one I love, and, and uh, I love the one I'm with. It's just uh, if, if we had her without Laura and and delta and zeta and all the rest of them things would be much easier and, and by the way would you like a kitten chris um, would you like a kitten you know what i have I, I have a plethora of kittens to choose from i have oodles and oodles of kittens if any of our listeners would like to adopt a kitten please god take these little things off my hands i would rather shave my head with a cheese grater while chewing on tin foil then take a kitten from you. They're they're adorable, man. Adorable Whatever, and well socialized, but Whatever. there's just too many of them. Whatever. They're like rabbits. Yeah. Well, I, I think that like the the word in the feral kitten community has gotten out. Hey, make your way down toward Pitkin, Louisiana. Uh, the nice blonde lady will pick you up and give you a home and love you forever and squeeze you and pet you. Grayson Acres. Grayson Acres <laughs> yeah. is the. Uh, that's right. It's the halfway home for pets. Yeah. So, well, KG, um, you know, we talked last week that we were going to bring up the AHA changes. Yep, yep. We, we needed some time to kind of play with it and go through it mm-hmm. and make sure that we could talk about it. I'm trying to get Peter Antevi on to join us so we can talk about the pediatric side of the business. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're going to do is focus on the ACLS side and really kind of give the highlights of where these changes are and what it kind of means to our uh, you know, our ability to do business. And, yeah. you know, at first, you know, at first glance, there doesn't seem to be a lot of changes. There is really a lot of uh, more graphics. Uh, I think the graphics are a lot easier to look at, easier mm-hmm. to understand. And, uh, but over the first, uh, over the first look, what was your first impression of the changes? Um, um, well, for lack of a better uh, phrase, much ado about nothing. Um, I didn't see uh, a great many earth-shattering uh, um, new recommendations. I think they were more notable for the, the things that they did not recommend and the changes they did not adopt uh, than, than what they did. Um, you know, uh, I, I still get the feeling that, you know, as, as much as American Heart Association has shifted to uh, a, a greater focus on evidence-based medicine and, and good uh, research to support the recommendations are still somewhat hidebound in many aspects and and, and unwilling to uh, to apply that same stringent uh, research methodology and, and research standards to already existing treatments. So, you know, I think I just think there's no happy there's no way to please you. That's what it is. You, there's well, nothing that, nothing that, that makes you happy. That may well have. be true as well. That may well be true as well. I'm 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 known in the past as being a critic of the American Heart Association. Uh, uh, but um, be that as it may, I, I still think there's some validity in my criticism. 
Well, I think that one of the things that I, I felt was, you know, there are a lot of things that stayed the same. There are a lot of things that really moved the needle a little bit. But what made me feel a little bit comfortable was the fact of being able to stay with the same uh, processes that we have with some additions. And I, I do want to hit on some of these additions. Mm -hmm. it, it solidifies that we might be doing the right thing. I mean, so when you yeah. talk about uh, I would have liked to seen them go another way or add whatever – Where's the science that's making that happen? What, what I felt a little comfort is that there were a lot of things that were reaffirmed um, that probably tell us that we have the, uh, you know, we're on a better path or we're on a, at least a good path of trying to make a difference in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. You know, there were a couple things that, uh, you know, kind of jumped out at me. You know, they they added, uh, you know, a link in the chain of survival, mm -hmm. uh, which was really kind of interesting where they have, you know, so now you have uh, for out-of-hospital, you have activation of emergency response, high-quality CPR, defibrillation, advanced resuscitation, post cardiac arrest care and recovery well i mean yeah. i think that that's a good end of that operation because you know one of the things that is important is that people have um you know cardiac arrest and we don't think about that long road to recovery thereafter well from our side we don't need to worry about that we've got to worry about the initial need but i thought that was cool that they kind of added that in this process yeah you know and and that's something that, that we've been paying attention to for for several years now and it is nice to see american heart association give an official stamp of approval to to that process we we've emphasized to our paramedics uh that uh the, the importance of spending a little extra time care and effort uh on scene to to sweeten up that that post rosk rhythm uh and stabilize that patient a little bit and prepare for uh, transport a little better, uh, and and generally focus better on on uh, recovery and making sure that the patient is stable before transport, rather than now we've got to push pulse, let's rush pell mell to the hospital. Uh, and 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 I think that's a wise choice, and and I think uh, that the you know official imprimatur from American Heart Association lends credence to it, uh, and and uh, I applaud that, but. You know, there there are. Uh, it's good to see that, and and uh, the the focus on on stabilization of rhythms and 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 uh, what to do after uh, uh, ROSC is uh, is extremely important. I'm happy to see that. Well, I do want to get to your thoughts, and maybe after the break, we'll talk about some of the things you wish okay. that uh, would have been different. But you know, so the same things that we're going to look at, you know, CPR two inches. Mm -hmm. Uh, deep, let the chest recoil, 100 to 120 uh, chest yeah. compressions, avoid excessive ventilation. Uh, here's Here was one of the things I thought was interesting, change compressors every two minutes or sooner if fatigued. And usually people were trying to stick to that two minute. If you're doing good CPR, I mean, this really is, uh, you got to be in the best of shape to do really good quality CPR, oh, yeah. get your hands off the chest and allow that to recoil. Um, you know, waveform capnography is the standard. It's been the standard for some time. Biphasic shock, 100 to 120 joules. Um, and monophasic, a 360 degree, uh, 360 joule shock. One of the things, Kelly, and, and I have to admit my, uh, uh, ignorance. So, I mean, one of the things that I did notice, you know, they talked about that sequential defibrillation isn't really necessary, isn't going to work. Yeah, that's that's something that has has been around for several years now, uh, and has has yet to receive a, receive an official endorsement. 
from American Heart Association. Now, I, as I read it, I didn't think that they specifically recommended against it. They didn't. Uh, they said it may be effective. Uh, I'm trying to find the exact text here. Uh, they didn't. They didn't stamp it with a class three recommendation. Put it that way. But but uh, if there is an endorsement by American Heart Association, it's it's weak at best. But double sequential defibrillation. Well, hang on one second. So here's here's what they say: the useful the usefulness of double sequential defibrillation for refractory shockable rhythm has not been established. Basically, a neutral recommendation, not a recommendation against or an endorsement of. Um, so, uh, what do they they go on to say after that? You should not do it. And what's the like the well? They talk the about the why. You know. So basically, I, I, one of the things that they pointed to is to say instead of using double sequential, uh, just to change the focus of the pads. You know, the yeah, pads change, that you're using change, change the direction of the pads. pads. But yeah. uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. But I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, well, well, the, the way double sequential defibrillation was supposed to work was uh, if you had a patient in refractory V-fib unresponsive to, to multiple uh, uh, shocks at the highest setting, uh, they recommended, uh, or, or the theory was that if you hook up a second defibrillator with the pads in anterior-posterior position, and and gave uh, shocks immediately after one another, like like shock shock, um, that uh, that might overcome uh, any any resistance a patient may have uh, or any you know impedance a patient may have, and and successfully convert V-fib. Uh, and there were some anecdotes that that indicated that might be the case, but no no large scale uh, studies and. The, the device manufacturers were kind of uh, uh, iffy on this because there is a possibility that you can fry a defibrillator that way. If, if, uh, if the circuit is open to the pads on one defibrillator while you shock with the other defibrillator, uh, it is possible that current travel up the, the uh, uh, cables into the defibrillator and, and ruin a very expensive piece of equipment. So I, I think the manufacturers were, were reluctant to endorse such a practice. Uh, and, and now that may have changed. And, and if, if any of our guys from Medtronic or Physio Control or Zoll or, or whoever uh, would like to chime in in our, our comments, we welcome them to do so. But, yeah, uh, the, the lack of endorsement for double sequential defibrillation uh, and the, the alternative of or perhaps changing the orientation of your electrodes from instead of apex and sternum to uh, anterior posterior, you know, may change that uh, that that vector a little bit. Uh, that that might actually be effective, and I think that's uh, you know I'll give props to American Heart Association. That is probably a reasonable recommendation uh, that I have no quibble with. Well, good. It's good you're not quibbling. So drug <laughs> therapy, you know, epinephrine still, one milligram every three to five yeah, minutes. Amiodarone. All right, well, let me just get the rest of the drug therapy. Amiodarone, first dose, 300 milligram bolus, second 150, or lidocaine, of course, IVIO dose. And, uh, you know, one of the things is I want to talk about this from the medicine side. If you want to jump in epinephrine, I'm happy to do that with you. But one of the things that I thought was interesting was they are saying that use IO if IV is not available, mm-hmm. why are we, we just going to IOs? But anyway, let, let's save that for a little bit. But let, let's get on your soapbox about epinephrine. I've heard it before, and I'm getting ready to listen to it again. 
Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, we've had multiple clinical trials now that question the efficacy of, of epinephrine. It is, it is better at uh, producing ROSC than, than a placebo. Uh, it is also better at producing a patient with a, uh, who is discharged with a very poor neurological outcome. Uh, so it's, uh, it's good at getting pulses back, and it's even better at creating turnips. Um, you know, uh, a good friend of mine uh, and frequent collaborator, Jason Kodat, pointed, pointed out that if American Heart Association had applied the, the stringent evidence guidelines uh, to epinephrine back in the day before they adopted it, that they're doing now, it would have never made it into the guidelines. If they had used this same standard that they're applying to to changes in epinephrine dosage or curtailing epinephrine dosage, if they had applied that same methodology and that same reasoning uh, before recommending epinephrine routinely in cardiac arrest in the first place, there was no way it would have made it into the guidelines. We would not be administering epinephrine based on the weak evidence that we have. And and I think he's got a great point there. Um, I think I particularly have wished that American Heart Association, if not recommending against epinephrine, had made a stronger statement uh, about, um, you know, it, it, a more selective use of epinephrine and the, that many patients uh, may not benefit from it. Uh, they did say that, you know, it, it's useful in patients with non-shockable rhythms. I think they should have made a stronger statement saying that, uh, uh, that it, uh, its use should be, uh, carefully considered and perhaps, uh, limited in patients with shockable rhythms. They do say that America, uh, that in a witnessed shockable rhythm that perhaps epinephrine should be deferred until after defibrillatory shocks in, in the first round of CPR and, and that sort of thing. Um, but the rest of the time, they, they heartily recommend recommend early administration of epinephrine. Uh, and, and they say that the, you know, the studies bear this out. I, I would say that the studies merely bear out the benefit of early professional care uh, uh, rather than specifically early epinephrine, but that's me. Uh, but yeah, well, hang, well, hang on a second. I mean, so, so, so the literature does say that for patients that have shockable rhythms, um, it supports using early defibrillation and CPR and then epinephrine when those two things are not successful. So it does push the defibrillation and CPR first mm -hmm. before that. And there is some good, I mean, there's randomized studies, man, two randomized studies trials uh, enrolled more than 8,500 patients in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And it shows that epinephrine does increase return of spontaneous circulation and survival. Is, is that the is is that our endpoint? Are, are 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 we interested in only restoring a pulse, or are we interested in survival well, key, of hospital discharge I, with a good neurological score? But I think the I think the key word here is increasing return of spontaneous circulation and survival. So it's not just saying ROSC, man, but it's pointing the finger at that people do have the ability to survive as well. But let's go ahead and take our mid-show break, Kelly, and then I want to hear what you would have liked to have seen inside the, a, uh, the AHA ACLS changes. But Crew Care is a free mobile app designed for first responders. The information is completely anonymous, but gives you insight into stress loads that contribute to mental well-being and resources to help. All while anonymously contributing to the industry research, Crew Care was created by ImageTrend, 
a software solution company dedicated to the emergency response industry. ImageTrend has made the Crew Care app available for free download from your App Store or Google Play, or visit crewcarelife.com to learn more. It's not just about being resilient, it's about thriving with Crew Care from ImageTrend. All right, so let us let me sit back. I'm going to strap myself in, and I want to hear what you would have liked to have seen change in the 2020 edition of the AHA guidelines. Well, I, I really think they should have made a, a more definitive statement uh, on the use of epinephrine. I think the paramedic 2 uh, trial uh, on epinephrine in the United Kingdom uh, gave well, us some touch touch on that data. for the people who touch on that for the people that don't know what that was. Uh, Paramedic two was a wide scale, uh, large scale, multi center uh, trial of epinephrine versus placebo in cardiac arrest, and it did affirm that that epinephrine uh, administration of epinephrine in cardiac arrest was uh, effective at producing ROSC uh, and had a slightly emphasize slightly higher um, uh, survival to hospital discharge rate, but also had a much higher uh, percentage of patients who, who survived with profound neurological deficits. Uh, so the, the question among many advocates is, is the juice worth the squeeze and, and should we still be routinely administering epinephrine to all cardiac arrest patients instead of just perhaps a small, smaller subset of cardiac arrest patients? And I had hoped that American Heart Association, and I'm not the only one, that, that hoped that uh, AHA would, would make uh, uh, some kind of definitive uh, or at least a stronger uh uh, uh, recommendation in that regard, and, and we're still waiting for that, and apparently it's not going to happen in the 2020 guidelines. I, I can understand their reluctance to to uh, change longstanding practice, but, you know, longstanding practice hasn't been improving out-of-hospital cardiac arrest a great deal uh, over the last uh, generation. Um, and, and as Jason pointed out in, in our conversation, uh, if we use that same uh, metric for evaluating and levels of evidence and, and making recommendations, if they had used that before they ever admit, uh, before they ever recommended epinephrine, it wouldn't have made it into the into the guidelines. Uh, but now that it's there, I think organizational inertia is still a, a major problem, and and that they're reluctant to make uh, large sweeping changes. But Kelly, uh, I mean, but if they're not making the recommendation. That means that it's not it's not ready for the recommendation to be made. So what you're doing is you're kind of kicking sand to say, um, I, I wish they would have done it. Wh where's the evidence to show that it should have been done? Well, uh, the, the evidence to show that it should have been done is has has not been there all along. What I'm what I'm saying is 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 basically they're taking the 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 old approach. Well, that yeah, that's the way we always done and and. And that's a that's not a, a real good justification for maintaining uh, a, a a treatment paradigm that is called increasingly into question uh, efficacy wise. So, you know, I, I look, I, I'm I'm not I'm not going to say that epinephrine should not be given. Uh, I am going to say that we've got uh, an increasing amount of evidence that said that perhaps it should not be given routinely, and and that's the thing. And and you know they make more nuanced recommendations in other parts of the, uh, and they challenge longstanding uh, 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 
practice in other parts of their their new guidelines for example i mean we'll, we'll get dr antevi uh on this uh in a later episode but they they speak out against uh or speak up it for a more individualized approach to fluid boluses and sepsis for example you know um in 2012 there was a a couple of meta-analyses that showed that fluid boluses in in septic kids were harmful compared to no boluses at all uh, and recommended against it yet you know the surviving sepsis campaign and and and, and current treatment guidelines you know advocated this protocolized give everybody a fluid bolus approach to sepsis and and in these new guidelines american heart association saying hey a more individualized approach uh to to treating shock uh in in septic kids should be uh is reasonable so i applaud them in that i just don't see why they didn't do that with epinephrine and, and you know and we still have we still have a, a a endorsement of the selective cardiotoxins uh uh, in in VFib, amiodarone and lidocaine, neither of which have been shown to uh, result in survival to hospital discharge, but they are excellent at getting ROSC and running up a uh, an ICU bill that the patient will then die and never be able to pay. So, oh my God, you were just <laughs> incorrigible. Look, I'm being I am being the you're not line. you're I'm you're a, you're a sky is falling you're a sky is falling kind of person, Kelly Grayson. I'm trying to channel Tim Noonan here and, and be the shark stick in the eye of established uh, of the the aha establishment no no not really i, I do I, I don't want it to sound chris like i'm anti-aha i think they should be bolder in some areas and other areas i give them their props they are making good recommendations there are other people you can only uh, you can kelly you can you can only you can only do what you can do though right man i mean you can only with comfort and, and, and i gotta tell you i mean there's got to be people who are like you that are sitting in that room at eoc and they're saying epinephrine epinephrine let's talk about it let's talk about it let's make this recommendation make this recommendation but it comes down to the science that says it's not time and we we criticize, especially you and I criticize that 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 the treatments of EMS, you know, and you joke, uh, you know, when you talk about EMS uh, courses, and even the doctors will say fifty percent of what you learn is is wrong. We just don't know which fifty percent. We talk about evidence based medicine. And, you know, we criticize the fact that where are the studies on the lidocaines and where are the studies on? Now we've got the AHA who's pulling the reins to say we don't have enough, but we're being critical. And I don't think that I think we've got to be able to trust those people who are saying, I just don't have enough evidence to support this yet. And we should be able to say, all right, man, you guys are the experts. My, uh, experts? No, I'm 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 increasingly doubting that. Uh, come on, there. Come uh, on. Many come of the on. many of the 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 agencies around the country that are making real strides, real strides in in treating out of hospital cardiac arrest, uh, are doing so with recommendations that fall well outside uh, AHA guidelines. They are, you know, uh, Rialto Fire Department. You trying to convince me or yourself? And, and they're. No, no. Uh, and well, and, and that, that has led to a discussion in recent years of whether we have outgrown American uh, Heart, Heart Association's advanced cardiac life support. Have we outgrown it? Have the, the agency, uh, have the progressive EMS agencies and the progressive resuscitationists uh, left those recommendations behind? Um, and, and has AHA been slower to adapt new and novel treatments that have, have shown some benefit? Um, 
many people think that that you know for a a working paramedic ed nurse or icu nurse that that uh the aha uh, uh acls card is a merit badge without any real merit uh it's more like resuscitation awareness for chiropractors and med surge nurses <laughs> i don't know that i don't know that that's the purpose of it i, I mean I i've taken yeah i've taken but, acls but anyway i, I don't I don't want to get off bashing AHA, but there are some things uh, that they didn't make recommendations on that, that I think they should. We've already discussed that. There are some things that they, they I think, rightfully held back on, um, but didn't specifically recommend against. And I think that we're still exploring those treatments like uh, point, of ho- point of care ultrasound for progn- prognostication and cardiac uh, arrest. Worthwhile uh, uh, to uh, determine uh, whether the viability of a resuscitated patient or not. Maybe that's a, maybe that's a good recommendation. Um, uh, and some other things that they, they made recommendations on. Let me pull up my notes here and, and, and we'll, we'll yak about them. Uh, um, they have come out uh, specifically again, or they're now we'll we'll save this this particular one for our for our, uh, our pediatric uh, discussion with Doctor Doctor Antebi. Um, but they are making uh, recommendations for um, uh, dispatch centers to summon citizens who are willing to perform CPR and recognizing that that uh, uh, bystander CPR. And the more we can leverage uh, apps and such that can that can summon willing bystanders to perform CPR. Uh, may be useful and I applaud them for that because uh, the data that we have shows that unequivocally that that BLS and citizen CPR and those things high quality CPR and prompt defibrillation are about the only things that we know works and and we should we should welcome anything that helps in that so their recommendation that uh, that uh, dispatch centers um, use whatever means necessary to summon citizens willing to do CPR and by that I take to mean things apps like pulse point and, and other mm-hmm. uh, or similar apps um, are useful, you know, yeah. and, and that's great. I think that 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 actually has meat to it, uh, and um, uh, and can can save some lives in the long run. Uh, their instance of uh, of uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm droning on, and you you want to talk? I know. I mean, you gotta you gotta stop talking. Just stop talking. All right. What about their recommendations? That, that I'm not uh, talking about uh, it. Not talking about. What about their recommendations uh, about reducing perishock pauses and and uh, investigation of uh, monitors that can interpret CPR or uh, analyze CPR rhythms or analyze rhythms underneath CPR? Uh, what do you think of that? So I think the uh, the opinions of the host Kelly Grayson is those of his own. If you want to go ahead and send questions and comments <laughs> to P- Grayson Acres at Pitkin, Louisiana. Um, it's no reflection of inside EMS or EMS one, but Kelly, let's go ahead and get up on out of here. Okay. But Hey, that's what I think. Not so much what Chris thinks, but that's what I think. But we would like to hear what you think, uh, defend the AHA, criticize the AHA. Tell us what you think about the new 2020, uh, American Heart Association guidelines, good or bad. We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com and for myself and co-host chris sobolero thanks for tuning in to inside ems we're going to catch you guys next week one more thing chris and kelly if you're on soundcloud just hang on a second because i'm coming right along with my ems one stop so i'll see you there and whatever this week's topic is going to be bye for now